there's a go live button. But how did you hear? Oh, shit. It now just says I'm live. Okay, let's do all that again. <laughs> so what I started saying before all this began, uh, incidentally, like reinforcement of the fact that it's now actually live on YouTube would be awesome. What I started saying before all this began, after I thought it began, but before it actually began, does that make sense? Is this is the first time I have actually scheduled uh, a live stream. And I thought I'd schedule it because people would then be able to sort of go, oh, okay, well, maybe I'll come along and I'll, I'll actually tune in at a time that I can predict. Um, <laughs> okay, I'm getting magic. It's happening. Oh, geez. It's my first time. Uh, I thought I'd schedule it because normally it's very impromptu. I'm basically like, I've got a bunch of stuff on. Let's turn up. I'll just, you know, tweet five minutes in advance, start talking. And... It, it's not necessarily that I thought people were going to like plan their entire days around. Let's just join Troy's live stream. And what was it? It was meant to be five thirty. Ended up being what five thirty-five by the time I actually got my thing started. Uh, but that's um, that's nice that a lot of people have tuned in. I'm literally just repeating everything I said before, but it's new to you because I wasn't streaming the damn thing. Anywho, moving on. <laughs> Let me start with this week's sponsor. Again, I've practiced it once five minutes ago, and then I'll talk about the other things here in the comments as well. Sponsor this week is CrowdSec. Uh, as I said before, which you didn't hear, the open source and collaborative IPS respond to attacks and share signals across the community. Download it for free. Uh, and as I was just saying, which you didn't hear, <laughs> one of the nice things about what CrowdSec does in terms of community sourcing things uh, and, and making, it, making it a more... Uh, make it a more collaborative, inclusive set of data, is that we are stronger together than what we are individually. And I want to talk about that a little bit later on as well as some of the PRs and things I've been doing with Pwn Passwords, the Pwn Passwords, Password Purgatory, the password thing. We'll come back to it. But uh, I'm very happy to see what they're doing. I'm very happy to have CrowdSec back again. Uh, and I'm also very happy that they're giving things away for free. And I do like it when a sponsor gives some stuff away. Outnumbering cyber criminals altogether, CrowdSec is a free, open source and collaborative IPS. Analyze behaviors, respond to attacks and share signals across the community. Get started, big button there, go and give CrowdSec a go. Massive thanks to them uh, for helping me do this. And this is something that I'm going to keep refining in terms of like schedules and do I plan it, do I try and do it at the same time each day. Something like that. All right, so that's the sponsor. Now, moving on, which is actually moving backwards to the things I was just talking about. <sighs> oh, boy. Um, <laughs> people joining Michelangelo from Belgium is good. I love Belgium. I really enjoyed going to Belgium. Um, I don't know what it is about Belgium, which I just, just enjoyed so much as well. Mm. You'll work it out. Belgium was great. Brendan, g'day, Brendan. He's here. Rob from Hong Kong. Uh, as I was saying to you just before, Rob, which you didn't hear, I'd love to go back to Hong Kong. I haven't been to Hong Kong for, I don't know, probably like t maybe 10 years. I was telling the kids the other day about Hong Kong hot pot. In fact, I looked it up. I, like my Most of my memories are, are basically just <laughs> photos that I can pull up based on location. And I made a habit uh, when I used to travel overseas as opposed to just locally just taking photos everywhere and then whenever i want to remember like where was that place i had that coffee or that beer or something like that there'd be a photo 
So I had these photos from Hong Kong showing the hot pot, and it's like, okay, kids, here it is. And it's like the chilies are floating there, and it's bubbling away like a cauldron, and it's awesome, and it's, yeah, no, you'll love it. So very, very much looking forward to going back to Hong Kong uh, in the near future, I hope. Uh, now there's a bit of stuff here from Rob about NASA and the rockets, which confused me when I read it the first time. Joel's from the Gold Coast, which is great. The Gold Coast is absolutely amazing. Uh, as I was explaining before, when <laughs> no one heard me, um, there's a, a bunch of stuff that I put here that I, I just have my little OneNote list over there, which I had put in the, the hero image and then the description of this, this weekly update. And then I added a few things later on. And, and one of the things I added was um, speaking sort of about the Gold Coast and things that are topical. Uh, Charlotte made the news this week, the, the news in the big west coast norwegian local newspaper online news which unfortunately is behind a paywall which does tend to be the way things are these days about her uh, about her father getting over here at last so charlotte moved over here in feb early feb early feb mid feb 2020 and uh we all know that was a bit of a strange time back then she moved over here with the expectation of being able to go home backwards and forwards and I guess, do the things that we've been doing for years. And, of course, it didn't happen. Uh, so she spent two years away from everyone uh, and just, just ended up here with me and inheriting children and having to find new friends and all the rest of it. So to have her father back was a, was a really big thing, and she really wanted me to video the moment that he came out of the gates at the airport, uh, which we did and shared it on social, and uh, the news picked that up, which, which was nice. That was a big thing for us anyway. But it is a big thing to move to the other side of the world. And, and as I was saying before, it's, it's something I've done twice before, once as a child and once as a kid. Hang on, they're the same thing. Once as a child and once as an adult. Uh, so when I was a child, I moved to the Netherlands when I was, I was 14. And then as an adult, a year in London. And, and going to the other side of the world is a, a really, really big change. So... Yeah, that was a big thing for her, particularly when you just simply didn't have the option of going backwards and forwards. Uh, other things. What else have we got here in the comments here? Uh, Brendan, Troy, buddy, I think you might have forgotten to hit the start button. Yep, we covered that. Thanks, mate. We're all good now. Uh, and finally, yes, uh, Rob says, is it beer o'clock? It is always beer o'clock somewhere. Thank you. Yeah, I know. Okay, finally gets up morning. <laughs> Escolitos Marlon. This says hi from Norway. I hope I got that right. Uh, not a great time to visit. You'll be locked up the next two weeks of quarantine. But so, okay, so this, I think we're now sort of, oh, Jesus, confusing, coming full circle to someone was in Perth and then I was like, I really want to go to Tasmania and I tweeted today about Tasmania. All right, all right let's just agree. We're all back on track. Thomas is in country New South Wales. Where are you in country New South Wales, Thomas? I wonder if I've been there. I think I've been in most of New South Wales at one time or another, even if just driving through. Escalitos, my children could not see their grandparents as well for the past two years. It was very nice to finally visit. You know the thing that struck me? So we we moved to the Netherlands. <sighs> Look, my Wikipedia profile's got my year of birth. You'll work at the math. Uh, in 1989, and I was uh, almost 14 then. And when we moved there with with my mum and dad, um, we didn't have internet and the phone calls were massively expensive and all I remember is like faxes and we we didn't have the means to 
be able to go backwards and forwards much. We came back uh, once in the two years I lived in the Netherlands. So to have now um, FaceTime and Skype and what's it like to just pick your, you know, free, massively high-definition streaming video device of choice has made a massive, massive difference. And it's been quite fun, actually, with Charlotte's father being here where she's taken him to various places around the Gold Coast that we like. And he's like, yeah, I've seen this because I've been on YouTube. <laughs> you know, and I've watched it all on YouTube. Or we have literally, like, walked around and just held up the phone. It's like, here's everything. So it's uh, it, it's still hard being away from family. Don't Don't get me wrong. But it is a very, very different world to what it was even just, uh, you know, really just 30 years ago. So good news there. Stravis is in, uh, in Sydney, his new place. Good on him. Glenn is asking, am I drinking a hazy? I am drinking a Bolter hazy, Bolter being a Gold Coast beer. Thank you very much. Talk about something different. Password purgatory. I've had so many good PRs for password purgatory. Now, this was the little project I spoke about last week. The whole idea of this was, to, <laughs> it was basically to screw with spammers. I'm not at that stage yet. I'm getting close to that stage. But it was to build password criteria that would just drive you nuts and could never ultimately be satisfied. So if we think about the old classics of password complexity criteria, uppercase, lowercase, number, non-alphanumeric, at least eight characters long, yada, yada, yada. Uh, all that's in there. And then it's like some of the PRs I've got to just effort. You know, I'm just going to go pull up the PRs because they're, they're crazy things, some of these, which is great. And it's funny because I've been reading them and I'll be like, this is ridiculous. This is so hard. I love it. Let's take the PR. <laughs> and that's basically been it. It's things like, uh, let me find pull requests that are here. Let's find the ones that are closed. I'm just going to read some of these, right? Um, uh, the non, uh, non, strip out the non-numeric characters. Uh, what's left must be divisible by three. There must be an emoticon. There must be at least one naughty character. The password must not contain any primary Griffin family member, i.e. family guy Griffin members. Password must contain at least one Greek letter. Password must contain at least one uppercase German umlaut. I hope I said that right for any of the Germans in here. Uh, that would drive me nuts, seeing that. Password must contain at least one named Solarian planetary satellite. At least three digits from the first ten decimal places of pi. What else have we got in here? Uh, there's a bit of randomization. So, I mean, some of these are just crazy criteria. Other was a, a, a just good sort of feature ideas. So, like, randomizing which one is shown next is great. Uh, what else we got here? Um, da, da, da. Rate the ridiculousness of checks and use last rating first. Now, I really like this one. <laughs> I'm talking about this like it's actually serious code. I really like this one because it's saying let's get all of the achievable. Actually, let's scroll back a bit. What do we want to do here? We want to ultimately create a set of password criteria that frustrates enough to make people angry. Remember, we're talking about spammers here, people trying to waste my time, but doesn't frustrate so much that they depart too early because I believe there's a sweet spot where when you're dealing with a spammer or a scammer or whoever it may be, if you come on too strong and they realize that they're just not going to get anywhere, they'll go away, you've got to keep them engaged. So I love the idea of 
ridiculousness ratings because we can gradually increment. And I actually rejected a PR that was that was so ridiculous that it was a showstopper. I won't actually say which one it is because I don't want to upset anyone uh, because the intentions were good. But it's like if someone gets to this criteria and it is just so infeasible that they just give up and move on, they're going to go and spam someone else. I don't want them spamming someone else. I want them here trying to create a password thinking that they're going to be able to put their carefully worded blog on my blog, <laughs> whatever it is, post on my blog. Passwords should not be exactly N characters. And this is a great final response. This is a great one to infuriate people at the end. So no matter what password they put in, it ultimately says your password must not be that long. It doesn't say what it should be. It just says it can't be what it is that you entered. Well, I'd find that really infuriating. Password must contain a bobcat. <laughs> password must contain only unique characters. These are lovely. This is going to be so much fun. Uh, only about an hour ago, I, I tweeted out and said, look, um, you know, this API stuff is great. I'm sure that there'll be more PRs and more improvements and things later on. Let's get a little web front end right. So the idea is that passwordpurgatory.com is a sample web page where you can just keep entering passwords and it, they're, they're all wrong. And this is not to send to the spammers. This is so that you or your mates or anyone else can go along and just enter crazy passwords and just see how the thing behaves. But what I want ultimately is I want a little JS file that we can embed in another web page. And that file will be the one that picks up changes to the password field when you click submit and then sends it off to the API and then comes back and then populates probably a span or something somewhere which says, hey, here's the result. So ultimately, we've got to get something that's transferable enough that we can put it on not just the passwordpurgatory.com website, but on a section of troyhunt.com, which is where I'm going to send the spammers. And I would love other people to use this too. Not yet mentioned in any of my docs, I do want to track when someone first loads this, which password criteria they are given, which passwords they enter to try and satisfy the criteria, and ultimately how long they spend there. Because I think the metric of success here is how much time can we waste of spammers? I'm going to have so much fun with this. How much time can we waste of spammers? All right, there's some other comments here. Um, it's a comment here from our friend in Norway. Internet was great. My mother's been FaceTime once a week. Completely agree. Yeah, yeah, it's made all the difference. Um, there's a cheers from Glenn. Thank you, Prost. John, g'day, John. John is in Belgium. Now, John and I have had beers in Belgium. I can't remember exactly how many. Not sure why. Uh, in Belgium on multiple occasions uh, and in other parts of the world too. I'm sure we've done that in, in London as well, John. Uh, and I think in the Netherlands. I don't know. It's very close to Belgium. Strata says, must contain code from the Matrix. But see, that's hard too because if it's too hard, they leave. We've got to keep them engaged. Madden Mohan says, how dangerous would you be if you're on the bad side? Moving right on. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm fine. Stuart. <laughs> Morning, evening, Troy. Could you not only do passwords, but also ridiculous captures? Possibly. Uh, in, in fact, there's been a whole bunch of suggestions around other things that are really client-side implementations. I'll give you a good example of that. So some people said, you should just make it hang for like 
30 seconds. So yeah, I, I could, but if I do that on the API, I've basically just got to like keep that connection open for ages and sit there consuming resources. You could do that very easily on the client. Uh, or stupid captures, things like that. You can do all of those on the client too. I, I'm not sure that that's the best thing to do via an API, but I'm, I'm not also convinced that we couldn't do that via an embeddable library or something like that. So maybe we could, maybe we could. Let me go on. I was talking about IoT and showers this week. <laughs> now, don't lose your collective minds over this. I'm going to read the tweet, and I had a massive amount of engagement with this, way, way, way more than I expected. And I want to talk about some of the feedback, and it, it, it taught me many things, much less about IoT than it is about actually understanding requirements. So here's my tweet. Question from my son. Now, I sent this at 5.59 in the morning, one morning. We've been having early morning workout, well, workouts, workouts <laughs> every day. And he posed this good question. And, and I'm going to tell you what he said to me, and then I'll read the tweet. He's, he said, um, I go into my shower, and I'm having a shower, and then his sister, Al, she goes into her shower, turns her shower on, and his water goes cold. He would like some sort of an IoT system, because I'm automating all the things in the house, where when one of them's in the shower, the other one knows that they're in the shower, or the sibling's in the shower, and therefore they should not start the shower because of the water contention problem. Now, my tweet said this, question from my son, can we use IoT to let my, oh gee, I typed that, to let me know when my sister, no, oh gee, I typed it twice. Can we use IoT to let my know when my sister know when I'm in the shower, oh geez, Troy, so, so she doesn't start hers and make my water cold. What sensor would you use this? Need to know when the shower starts then stops. This is what happens when you tweet at 5.59 in the morning. I like that he came to me and wanted to solve a problem, any problem with technology. I think that was cool. Now, I'm going to explain the constraints first, and then I'll talk about some of the feedback we had. So they have a room each. Each room has an internal ensuite, for a better term. It has a toilet, has a basin, has a shower. They back onto each other. And as I think about it, I would say that if you imagine that the taps, if you're in America, that's a faucet, the, the taps on the wall for the shower are probably about this far away. If you listen to this later on, I've got my feet about 30 centimeters apart. There's a foot if you're in the US. So they, they're like back onto each other. And I would imagine that there are water pipes that run up through the center of the wall and then they just go out both ways and therefore there's a certain amount of flow that goes through and if you take a bunch of that flow from one side there is less flow available for the other side. It doesn't matter so much when it's cold water, matters more when it's hot water because someone starts taking your hot therefore the other one goes a bit cold. The taps are mounted on a tiled wall. Now I later added photos of this. So when I look at this photo there are tiles from the floor all up to the ceiling, which is pretty normal for a shower. They're mounted on there, there's the taps, and then there's obviously a pipe inside a fancy looking chrome thing, goes up to the head and over. There are no exposed pipes. The only way you could access pipes is to remove tiles from the wall. I do have an Akera sensor there, which does temperature and humidity. So I can sense temperature and humidity. What I found really interesting, though, is the, the responses, many of the responses were along the lines of, you're trying to solve this wrong. You should 
change something to do with the plumbing. Now, something to do with the plumbing could be anything down to the, the hot water heater. So there's a hot water heater down in the garage. It's a big bastard. I've never run out of hot water here, which is great because it was the bane of my existence in previous houses. There are five showers in the house and a bath. And I think, I don't know, let's say 15 sinks, something like that. Um, the one hot water heater feeds everything that hits the water it provides the pressure the whole lot you cannot just look at the hot water heater and make an assumption about which tap has been turned on in which room you also can't pull tiles off the wall because if you pull tiles off the wall it gets very very expensive and i had so many suggestions for people like you're trying to solve the problem wrong what you need is a let's call it a widget you need a widget which stops the hot water being stolen from one side to the other now if you were to look at this picture and I say this now some authority having to completely rebuild the bathroom just behind my office here which is our master ensuite due to leaks you have to pull all the tiles off the wall in doing so they will break so you will need to replace the tiles you won't be able to get the same tiles again because these tiles were put on 15 years ago you then have to remove the what's the right word uh, probably blue board from behind that such that you can get to the pipes you then have to buy the device that you put on the pipes now, also, when I say you, I don't mean me. I mean like the plumber and the tradespeople and the professionals. So you've ripped off all this blue board. You buy this device. You put it in the plumbing, put the blue board back on. You then have to re-waterproof the wall. You've got to go and buy new tiles. Now they don't match, so you've really got to retile the entire bathroom, stick it all back on, and many, many thousands of dollars later, you solve the problem. Now, this is, this is why I was saying I would like to solve this with IoT because if I could put a sensor in there and it's 50 bucks and I'd do it myself, that to me is a more pleasing solution than several thousand dollars. But time and time again, I've got all these crazy ideas. Now, I understand the sentiment, but maybe I just didn't explain the uh, constraints well enough. We didn't really reach a conclusion there were some good comments there, some comments that Ari, my, my son, quite enjoyed, uh, many along the lines of, um, uh, you need a new sister, <laughs> you know, <laughs> just like get rid, of the si get rid of the sibling. I think we've all been through this, if we have a sibling. Uh, I think the most feasible solution was the climate sensors there, temperature and humidity, you can kind of get a set, like, let's imagine all we're trying to do is like toggle binary states. So somewhere in Home Assistant, I'd like to be able to say, the person in this room is having a shower. We could potentially do that with humidity. The main problem is, is defining the thresholds, which less so indicate when it starts, more so indicate when it finishes. Because when you finish a shower, and I know this because I've got um, humidity sensors in the ensuite that I use to trigger the fan, in fact, it's, it's there and it's in the two uh, kids' bedrooms as well. The main problem is, is that even after you finish, there's a lot of hot water around, still a lot of steam. Now, if you want one kid to be able to finish and just go, hey, I'm done, you know, the light in the other room goes off, fragment's sake, and then the other kid starts, then you can't really have like this long lag. The other thing is we get really humid here. So showers aside, we get 95% plus humidity on a normal, particularly summer's day. So even for my humidity sensors to figure out when to turn on fans, I had to stop looking at uh, absolute humidity and look at the relative humidity between the bathroom and another part of the house and try and figure out why is this one suddenly so much higher. Many people suggested 
that the, the way to fix this was to have a button and when you go into the shower you press the button now full marks for simplicity uh, but these are children <laughs> I can't get them to pick up their towels off the floor they're not going to push a button when they go into the shower and then another button when they come out the most feasible solutions I think were a combination of humidity and temperature but also the one that really started to resonate with me is sound so it is a very distinctive sound when the shower is running so could we get a sensor for sound a few people suggested there are like ultrasonic sensors that can tell when water is moving through a pipe i think that's going to be a hard one uh, or vibration sensors so could you put a vibration sensor on the shower because inevitably when it's like flowing through water you could possibly do that None of this is actually that important. <laughs> like, it is so unimportant in the scheme of things. But it was a fun thought exercise. It just hasn't really resulted in an answer. People are then saying, oh, what about like leak sensors? You know, there's loads of leak sensors. So when the device is wet, does that indicate a shower? It's like, well, that could indicate when it starts, but when does it indicate when it stops? Because there's still water laying around, say, in the drain. Fun times. Okay, what else is here in the comments here? Um, Wayne says, back on the password stuff, if you want to waste time, ask them to answer lots of questions before creating the password. We'll keep them there. In a way, that's kind of what password purgatory is. It's like, here is something crazy. Try and answer it, and you know, you never will. Brenda says, has there been any more funny numbers tonight? What's a funny number? Not sure. John, I want a beer-free period, mate. Yep, in and out as well. Was, oh, that's right. We did do the training now. Yeah, I remember that now. Uh, okay, John's uh, free beer at the moment. Esolitos um, again from, uh, from Norway. It's the first item I hear of password purgatory. Love the idea. Okay, good, good. <laughs> Michelangelo wants to go and get beer anyway with John. That sounds reasonable. Um... Brendan, just for the API, send a little code or something to the client to wait n seconds and reconnect, check back. Okay, so this is obviously in terms of adding a delay. So the server could always say, look, just just add delay. But yeah, then again, the client can kind of decide that as well because ultimately the server could respond immediately and say, hey, hang out for 30 seconds. Yeah, possible. Michelangelo thinks the IoT shower sounds spooky if your shower head gets breached. But then what happens if it gets breached? It's a sensor. I do have um, motion sensors in the kids' bathrooms. But if, if you imagine the bathroom, and it, like they're small bathrooms, but they are a toilet and a basin and a shower. And the, the reason I have the motion sensor is because I got sick of them continually leaving the lights on. Like they've gone to school and I walk in, it's like, why are all the lights and stuff? You must have this, surely. Why are all the lights left on? So the motion sensors uh, identify once there's been no motion for, I can't remember what I said, it's 10 minutes. And then it turns off the light because there's a shelly behind each of the light switches. So that, that's possible too. Uh, what else here in the comments? Wayne says, water leak sensor. Yes, I just explained the problem with that. Brennan says, why not have the humidity data backed by motion sensors strategically placed in shower cubicle? I, th I think I could possibly combine these. Possibly. Hmm. 
Lance Hayden, who we know in person, says, G'day, late to the party. I might have been enjoying a few crafties. Oh, okay, that's, that's good. Crafties, for those of you from other parts of the world, uh, the thing that I have here. Hmm. Brendan is answering my what's a funny number. Do you not remember last week or even prior when you said something was at 69%? Uh, I, I know my 12-year-old son would find that funny. Um, I see where you're going. <laughs> now I understand. Thank you for clarifying that. Let's move on. Something a little bit more serious. And this is something I, I do want to talk more about in future. And I, I have a blog post in draft. But I'm just going to read it. Um, I like the Formula One. And I've been watching Drive to Survive on Netflix. So season four of Drive to Survive just came out. So this is Netflix covering the Formula One each season. They turn it into Netflix quality viewing, which is great because normally the Formula One is on at a terrible time for us here in Australia because it appeals primarily to a European audience. So again, just for context, it's 6 p.m. here at the moment, which I believe is 8 a.m. in the UK. So you can imagine uh, when they want to run the Formula One at a time, which is friendly to the European audience where most of the fans are. Not so good here. Anywho, part of what I've been learning out of watching Drive to Survive is a lot of the identities behind the different teams. Uh, And Mercedes has been absolutely dominant. They run seven seasons in a row. Last year, almost one. Bit controversial. It's run by a guy called Toto Wolff. And I saw a a tweet. In fact, I saw this on Facebook, and then I I went to Twitter to see if I could find a reference to it because I wanted to share it. And I'm just going to read what it says here. So the tweet says, it's quoting Toto, high-profile people who seem to have everything but are struggling, I think we have an obligation to say we're getting help, and it's okay to get help. Now, this is Toto on the importance of mental well-being and looking after your mental health. Now, they've got an image of him here in uh, in a very cold-looking place. Uh, obviously, Mercedes um, is German. It's, it's somewhere in Europe. The quote is, I've been going to a psychiatrist since 2004. I think I've had more than 500 hours of therapy. I've suffered mentally. I still do. Getting help is a way of overcoming my problems, and it has helped me to access untapped potential. I've never had any problem with the stigma. Some of the most successful people are very, very sensitive and very, very sensitive means very, very vulnerable. And this uh, this just struck a chord when I read this because it's, it's something that that I've been getting help with. And I, I thought I'll, I'll craft together some tweets. I, th- I think I'll just read them out and then maybe I'll give it a, a little bit more context because it's, it's something that deserves talking about. Here's my tweet. I quote tweeted him. I said, I'm getting help and it's okay. This tweet really hit home with its willingness to be transparent about an often sensitive topic by someone in the public eye. Toto heads up the Mercedes F1 team. I've got a whole thread going here. Nearly two years ago, I wrote about dealing with stress and in particular sustaining performance. I was going through a divorce and it was one of the most stressful periods of my life. Link through to my blog post on sustaining performance under extreme stress. What I didn't write about at the time was that an important part of managing the stress was regularly seeing a psychologist. I was seeing Clive. Now, I quoted it, but that is his real name. Someone who specializes in high performance and professional development psychology. I wasn't ready to share that then. It's now been three years, and the week before last, Clive mentioned it was our 51st session. So on average, we've caught up once every few weeks. Talking to a professional has been life-changing at a time where my life needed changing. 
I have a long-form blog post on this that's been in draft for years, and I'll share when I finally feel the time is right. For now, three things stand out thinking about it again today after reading Toto's words. Number one, Clive helped me identify the root cause of stress in my life. It wasn't what I thought it was when I went in, and it took an external expert to bring that to light. Now, I don't particularly want to embellish too much on on the details of that, but I I think the point with this, and I will read the rest of them, but the, the, the point with this bit about finding the root cause is that sometimes we we think we know what it is that's eating us or consuming our energy or consuming our emotional time and for me i i'll tell you what i thought it was and it wasn't i I thought it was very much around the stress of having an increasingly public profile and the stress of uh, a lot of demands on my time Uh, it turned out to be other things and it, it wasn't until I spent time with someone that can kind of, it's almost like they, they decompress your brain, right? Like they just take this stuff out and figure out what it is that's actually eating you. Number two, he helped me differentiate between the things in life that required attention and emotional effort versus those that were merely annoyances or distractions. Most of it was usually the latter. And I, I think we all sort of end up with a lot of noise in our heads, particularly at stressful times. Uh, and it's it can be very difficult to, to just... I often talk to my son. In fact, the example I give him is this. His school, not quite as bad. My daughter's school, much worse. But there is so much noise that comes in communication from the school that it's very easy to lose the signal. So in the entire mass of everything that comes... You know, stuff here that if you if you're in a completely different class in a completely different year and you're playing basketball, which which he doesn't, uh, you got to be here at this date, and then that's in there, and it's in there with the cricket stuff, which he's got nothing to do with, and it's in here with the the kids that want to stay back and learn the clarinet, whatever else. There's all of this noise, and then somewhere in the middle is the bit that's actually important, and when there's so much noise it's very, very difficult to pick out the bits that are actually important. And this is what really helped me with the psych. It's like, what's the stuff that's just noise and you can just water off a duck's back kind of stuff uh, versus what's the stuff that you've actually got to pay attention to? Number three, help me focus on my goals. I was on a path to a destination, multiple destinations, and I needed to do a better job of constantly checking myself against that and mentally filing away the things stopping me from reaching those goals. And as I wrote that, it felt very related to the second point where it's very easy to lose track of what the objective is. It's very easy to get distracted by the minutia, by the little things, by the things that have very minor consequence in your life, but they are the things that consume energy. And that is an incommensurate distribution of your effort. Finally, but perhaps most important, but perhaps most importantly, getting help taught me to focus on the here and now, loving the people and the things in my life, get help, talk about it if you can, embrace help, love and be happy. And then there's a photo of Charlotte and my kids, our kids. And that was, uh, yeah, that was a big realization to sort of get to that point where you can just focus on that stuff. And, uh, and the other things that consume your emotional energy get pushed to the side. And that was a big thing that, that I got help with in terms of, of talking to someone. And, and the fact that, again, it's like if, if I think back the last three years, a lot of that time is, well, not the last two years, but a lot of the time prior to that was spent overseas and then periods of lockdown and crazy things. 
So it hasn't always been linear, but the ability to go and talk to someone on a regular basis and try and like sanity check yourself against these things. And I, I'm, I'm sort of really interested over the next three years what, what that looks like. Will the time I spend with Clive track to stress or perceived stress or will it be something like perhaps like I assume Toto is where it's just like, look, this is going to be a regular kind of check in just to keep me straight. Well, that shut everyone up. <laughs> There's no more comments. <laughs> a couple of things unrelated to that. Oh. To close that out, I will, uh, I will write more about this in the future. Uh, look, it's, it's one thing to, to sit there and write about code. I mean, code is very emotionally neutral. It either works or it doesn't. There's subjectiveness, but... It's not. It's not opening yourself up like the like the other bits and pieces that that I've written in the past a bit about the stress and also the the other one that I have in the works at the moment. So I, I want to share that. I do want to get that done. Let's go on to some more classic stuff. Data breaches. I've got a bit here on Cafe Press. Now this really only popped up into my radar. I think yesterday I tweeted about this. Cafe Press and the FTC. Now, Cafe Press is a really interesting one. So they had a data breach, I believe it's 2019 era. Uh, The FTC, here's the title of what they've said here. I'm just going to drill down into it. They have penalized Cafe Press. FTC takes action against Cafe Press for data breach cover-up. Commission orders e-commerce platform to bolster data security and provide redress to small businesses. So I think they've had to pay about half a million bucks worth of money American bucks, too. Much more valuable. Here we go. In addition, the proposed settlement requires residual pumpkin. Residual pumpkin? Ugh. I think they're the ones who run Cafe Press. To pay $500,000 in redress to victims of data breaches. I had uh, an epiphany some time ago. And um, it was just before I did the... The Congress thing in the US, and it was just after the Uber breach, which they tried to pass off as a bug bounty, came to light. And the epiphany that I had at the time, and I, I can't remember whether I said this specifically at Congress or just spoke to people about it, but the epiphany was that I think that we collectively are judging organizations these days much less on the fact that they've had a data breach and much more on how they handle it. Data breaches have become a much more normal thing. Uh, and there are certainly degrees, and they only ever happen because someone screwed something up somewhere. There's never a data breach where it's like, we did everything absolutely right and it still happened. No, no, someone screwed something up somewhere. But was it a vulnerability in a third-party library which was entirely understandable and it was something that was a zero day that then got someone else into their things? Or was it a series of errors, reuse passwords, lack of multi-factor authentication, and then... Siri, I can't help you with that on Apple Watch. Thanks, Siri. Let me know if that changes. Uh, and then and then they covered it up, and then they tried to downplay You know what I mean? Like, there's a spectrum. And I like seeing the fact that uh, a government body is able to ping an organization. And look, I don't think half a million bucks is actually a lot of money for them. I'm not sure how much revenue they have or market cap or they're public, whatever it may be. But I like the fact that there is something that happens. So uh, happy to see that. There are a few other interesting things about Cafe Press, which I'm going to talk more about later on. I don't think I've said 
publicly yet, but it relates to something else I want to do. But uh, there is a little bit more to a little bit more to the Cafe Press story. All right, look at the comments. Um, Brendan's just realised he's more immature than we first thought. Uh, yeah, that seems seems fair. Um, I'm just more mature when I'm on the camera. Marcus, it's good to hear how people deal with it. It normalizes it, which I think comes back to the, the getting help and sites and so on. John says, we're all quiet. Really appreciate that you share this. Stratus, I just moved. I'm taking it easy for last week to de-stress from the move, just relaxing and doing nothing. John says, the noise we're surrounded with and how it can affect you really resonates with me. Just going back to that, something like immediately popped to mind, and I, I read something the other day that reminded me of this. And I read something about a, uh, a musician, someone I've never heard of before. I don't know how popular they were or not, but they're talking about what it's like to like go and play in front of a, cl- uh, a crowd and then come off stage and you go from like this cacophony of noise through to complete silence. And um, about three years ago, and this was partly what I thought was the, the root cause of my stress, I remember being at Microsoft Ignite uh, in Sydney. And... I did a talk in a in a room that was like massively overcrowded and packed and and it you know it felt great there were so many people there it would have it was a small room and it would have been like 400 people or something like that and there was a lot of enthusiasm lots of Q&A lots of interest and then you come off the stage and there's like people want you know selfies and things <laughs> I've done many of those lately uh, and it was so much excitement and then I just remember leaving the convention center in Sydney and walking back to the hotel. And as soon as you walk out of that convention center, like all the noise just disappears. It's like you're still in a CBD in a city, but suddenly you go from being like the complete, and I'm trying to say this without sounding obnoxious about it, but you go from being like the complete center of attention to just, just wandering around with your own thoughts. And then you get back to the hotel and it's just deadly silent. Uh, and I remember messaging with a friend of mine at the time, just going, you know, this is, like how weird it felt and again i think there were other factors that were sort of exacerbating that for me at the time but it's very very strange when there is so much noise and so much interest and then it all just completely disappears unique email addresses now someone sent me a uh, an email a couple of days ago and asked me a question and i said you know look let let me pick this up because I said, oh, look, I watch your videos. So I said, let me pick it up and I'll talk about it in the next video. So without naming them, I'm just going to quote what they said here. I copied and pasted it. I'm currently pondering about the different aspects of using unique service-specific email addresses for various online accounts. Pros, cons, how and what's the gain for security or threat spam mitigation, etc. Uh, and they were basically saying, look, is, is this a, like a good thing, bad thing? Does it matter much? And I thought, oh, look... Let's talk about it today. Now, I forgot to think about this in advance, <laughs> so I'm winging it here. But it is something that comes up a lot. Uh, it comes up a lot when people talk about using, uh, say, plus aliasing uh, on their email addresses. So if you're like john at gmail.com, you can have john plus adobe at gmail.com, john plus dropbox at gmail.com. And they are unique strings, but the plus aliasing is effectively ignored and they still go to like john at gmail.com. But you can see what the email is sent to. Now, I do this myself 
in a roundabout way without going into too much detail. So I do have unique email addresses that I give to different services. So when I start getting email to an address which I didn't think should go to the company that's sending the email, that is a bit of a red flag. Uh, in fact, I, I had one only a few days ago and I, I emailed this organization back and said, number one, why are you emailing me? Number two, why are you emailing me to an email address that I only gave that company? Now, they didn't reply, which, what am I going to do? Um, but it did tell me something about, I guess, the trustworthiness or the practices of the organization to whom I gave that email address. It can be useful that way. Where I've found it problematic is if people know you by your primary email address, which might be like, you know, john at gmail.com, and then you're going and using a different email address for different services. And then let's say, and I'm, I'm trying not to give too many specifics here because I don't want to give too much away about my own circumstances, but they then invite you to use another service somewhere and they send it to john at gmail.com, but you haven't done that. You've done like john plus service name at gmail.com. And now they're sending an invite to an account that doesn't actually have an account on the service that they're trying to, you know what I mean, get you to access. So there are there are downsides to it. Uh, not having a canonical email address cuts both ways. Now, that, that's sort of the negative. On the positive, and I spoke about this a while ago when uh, Fastmail started doing their anonymized emails for a one password. So you can go to a website and you can you can sign up and create it all, the whole thing in your one password password manager. Uh, and without giving away your real email address to a third party service, then Fastmail can effectively give you a, a redirected email, which is which doesn't tie to your identity. You still get the mail, but it's not like I'm handing around my own email address to everywhere else. And the commentary I made at the time is that your email address is a little bit like the primary key to your digital life. It's, it's not the actual key. It's not like the password, but it's the primary key in the same way as your phone number is because this is the thing that for 99% plus of the world is static across all of the different services they use. So being able to get away from having one unique identifier that is consistent everywhere absolutely has a positive impact on privacy it just has a bit of a downside in terms of the examples i gave earlier on so in summary some benefit it's not like it's not like go and create unique passwords and store them in a password manager and make them strong like that's really really solid advice that's massively impactful the bit about using unique email addresses per account yeah kind of handy i don't think it makes a world of difference though all right, other comments here. Um, Marcus, the issue is that it makes a... Uh, the issue is that... Trust again. The issue is that is... No, it's you, Marcus. It's not me. The issue is that is makes a system for usernames. The bonus is you can see who got hacked. I have mixed feelings. Um, it's not just hacked. This is what's interesting about it. The example I gave the other day is I think that um, one service had basically rolled over to another service. Now, it wasn't entirely clear to me. I get a lot of email and a lot of junk. But there's that situation. There's also a situation where, you know, when you sign up for a service and there's that little checkbox and it says, I have read the terms and conditions and I agree to them. 
and you check it, but you never read the terms and conditions. In those terms and conditions is we may work with partners in order to enhance our services and improve our offerings to you to greater enhance our value. Pro- bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. And a good example of this is that um, New Relic. So the application performance monitoring service, New Relic, I entrusted with my data. They then used an external data aggregator to enhance and enrich. <laughs> For those listening to this later on, I equated enhance and enrich. Enhance and enrich their, their data because knowing what cereal I ate for breakfast is valuable to providing me application performance monitoring services. So they sent my data off to somewhere else. Now, they did not have a breach, and I assume that they acted within the scope of their terms and conditions, but it did mean my email address flowed somewhere else. Now, I still think it's useful to know that, but it just doesn't mean they had a breach. Michelangelo, same here, using my gaming name everywhere. George says, makes OSINT harder when you're not recycling your email addresses. Definitely makes it a lot harder. If we think about attacks like credential stuffing, uh, now, credential stuffing is predicated on people reusing both the same email address and the same password. If you're not reusing the same password, it mostly goes away. But you've still got this problem of the same email address being used across multiple services and therefore tying you to different things. So from an open source intelligence perspective, not having the same one does abstract that. Now, if you use plus aliasing, for example, well, you could just filter out everything after the plus and go, well, it's really the same person. But how many services actually do that? Now, here's an interesting fact as well, just on how many people use this. One of the top rated, I think it's actually the top rated user voice suggestions for Have I Been Pwned, I'm just going to check it now, I'll read you this out, is enable search and notifications for email addresses using the plus syntax. 2,364 votes, number one by a long shot. Now, here's the problem. As I have said in the stats here, and consistently across multiple data breaches, I don't know why it's so coincidental, but I keep getting the same number. The percentage of people that put a plus in their email address is 0.03%. So what's that? That would be one in 100, one in 1,000. It's about one in 3,000 people do that. You are exceptional if you do that, but my audience is probably more likely to be exceptional in that way. It's a very, very rare thing. John says, also some kind of defense against cred stuffing, but then again, if you use plus aliasing in random part, can easily be stripped off. Yeah, it's pretty much what I just said. Thank you, John. I didn't read your comment before I said that. Last thing. Been going 50, I think I've been going 50 minutes. I think I've actually been going 55 minutes, but yeah, hiccups. Um, Government access to have I been pwned. Oh, boy. This one ended up much more controversial than I thought. All right, let me explain the background here. This is is the blog post I put out just after I did my weekly video last week. I have had requests from lots of governments to get access to have I been pwned data. Now, just to be clear, this is data you can only ever get publicly anyway if you control the domain, but it's like... Rather than force a government agency to demonstrate they control the domain, if they are a government agency and I can establish a rapport with them via email and independently ascertain who they are, 
I will give them access to an API so they don't have to like manually verify control the domain every time. I've done this now to I think 27 different governments, including the governments where many of you are. Belgium, John. Uh, the Netherlands, John, when we were over in the Netherlands. Australia, UK, New Zealand, US, Canada, and it goes on and on. There have been, and I'm going to choose my words carefully here, there have been multiple governments that have asked for access that I have felt uncomfortable with. Now, it's, it's very hard to articulate this, but just like in your own mind, think about the spectrum of countries. How many countries are there in the world? 200-something. And think about in that spectrum from who are the ones that you feel the most affinity towards in terms of trusting their political system, their democracy, their human rights, their respect for people's religion, sexuality, political views, letting people be people. Who is right up the shiny end of that? Who are the best ones? Now, in my mind, I was thinking, I, I do, and some people will argue with this, but I do think Australia is at the pointy end. I definitely think a lot of Scandinavia and the Nordic countries, which are different things. <laughs> I get reminded of that every time I conflate the terms. I do think they're at the very, very pointy end of these things. What's at the other end? Um, extreme other. Let, let's just pick extremes so that I don't name anyone that might have asked for access. Uh, North Korea. We, we don't really go on holidays there, do we? Um, I'm not even going to name other ones because there's things that pop into mind. But I picked North Korea because in the graph that I ultimately put in this, uh, this blog post, they're at the bottom. Second last, Democratic Republic of Congo. Third last, Central African Republic. Fourth last, Syria. So let's like imagine like Syria, North Korea, this sort of thing. Um, Norway, Sweden, Finland, maybe Australia, Democratic Republic of Congo, North Korea, Syria. You, you see what I'm, where I'm going here. Now, let's imagine, and again, we're just going to pick the extremes here because it's, it's better for illustrating the point. Let's imagine I turned up one day and I went, hey, like good news, uh, North Korea now has access to data on have I been pwned. <sighs> How do you think people would react? I have given access to other countries that are at a very, very different end of the scale to North Korea, and I've had criticism from people saying, and I'm not even going to say which countries because I really don't want to get into the debate about the geopolitics and everything, but they'll say, look, from a, from a whether it be a human rights perspective or a respect for different territories and so on, uh, this country not so cool. And it leaves me in a quite an awkward position, but there's a spectrum and for a couple of countries in particular that had asked for access, I just felt very uncomfortable. And I, 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 did I say pub test in here? Uh, I don't think I said pub test. So I did say pub test. It's in the comments. In case you've never heard of this term before, in Australia, we have this idea known as the pub test. Now, let me give you a definition of pub test. Pub test from the Urban Dictionary, Australian, Australian term, often used by the media to describe the collective opinion of the everyday Australian to the conduct and reputation of public figures such as elected officials and celebrities or to current events. In many cases, the pub test is a device employed by journalists to invoke the temperature of an issue among the general public without actually engaging with members of the public. In other words, 
if you were to go down the pub and ask a bunch of random strangers, how would you feel about me giving access to North Korea to have I been pwned? The pub test would be, you're an idiot, what are you thinking? If I said, uh, how would you be with me giving access to Norway? They'd go, oh yeah, they seem pretty cool, they're fine. And then there's a spectrum. I needed a line in the sand such that when an organisation, when a country popped up, which I felt was more at the North Korea end than the Norway end, I would be able to make an argument for why I'm not giving them access. Now, the reason I keep choosing North Korea, I've already told you, is last. The reason I keep choosing Norway is not because of my fiancé, but because Norway is number one on the list that I've ended up using. Now, this is the democracy ranking by country. And it's not that I think that this is like the one canonical way of doing it. But when I was looking through for ways to measure trustworthiness of a country, it reconciled with my own inner pub test. And I've put this, uh, this chart in the blog post and I've highlighted in green the countries I've given access to. And most of the top 20 are already on Have I Been Pwned. Norway, Iceland, Sweden, New Zealand, Canada, Finland, Denmark, Ireland, Netherlands, Australia. They are literally the top 10. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. The top 10. I don't have Taiwan. That's number 11. And therein is another geopolitical hot potato. So let's move past them. Switzerland, Luxembourg, they're in there. Germany I don't have. I must have friends in Germany. Come on, guys. Get on it. Uruguay. I'm surprised Uruguay is so high. That has reset my expectations Uruguay. Uruguay, United Kingdom up there. I don't have Chile and Costa Rica, but Austria. I don't have Mauritius and Japan, but Spain. I don't have South Korea and France. Why don't I have France? There must have been people in France. United States, Portugal, and so on and so forth. So my point is, is that this aligned very well to my own internal moral slash ethical compass. And it it's not perfect, but it doesn't have to be perfect because it gives me a stated position. I'm going to read some comments and then I'll add a little bit more to this. Um, John says, I've read in your post, Belgium is a flawed government. Is it? Okay, okay. first of all, yes, it's in my post, but it's not my... No, it's not a flawed government. It's a flawed democracy, mate. Um, first of all, it's my blog post, but it's not my data. I've embedded someone else's data in it. I don't know why it's a flawed democracy. Obviously, I like Belgium. Belgian people are cool. Uh, good beer. I don't have a rating for beer. Um, anywho, Belgium is well and truly up there in the list of, of countries. I would say just eyeballing it is probably in the top 15 to 20%. So I wouldn't be too worried about that, John. Uh, what else is in here? There are currently 197 countries. Okay, cool. Thank you, Stratus. <laughs> Marcus, does it include Sealand? No idea. I just Googled. <laughs> Lance says, pub tests can end with tell them they're dreaming. Oh, there's an Australianism right there. I swear to God we live next to Dale Kerrigan. Another story. Um, not Dale Kerrigan. Who's the father? You'll chime in. You'll know who I mean. Uh... Travis says, it was hilarious that after the Black Panthers came out, people were asking travel agents to travel to Wakanda. <laughs> okay, that's, that is hilarious. Maybe you can just Google it. There were some, some comments that came back 
it's, if I'm honest, the distribution of comments here and discuss were more negative than what I thought they'd be. And there were a few in particular that I, I just felt were sort of really, really off the mark. Uh, so that there are multiple people who sort of made comments about, well, America has dropped bombs on this country or that country. You know, why on earth can you let them in there? So, oh, jeez, oh, what have I got myself into? I don't understand the geopolitics of a lot of the disputes that different countries in different parts of the world have with other parts of the world. And there are obviously parts of the US that uh, that are flawed. I think that they're flagged as a flawed democracy here, just like Belgium, mate. Uh, but having spent significant amounts of time in the US, when I, when I go back to that pub test of is this a country that I would like to who I would like to make their lives easier in terms of dealing with data breaches. Uh, unequivocally, yes. A- absolutely, yes. And I've spent a bunch of, well, obviously I spent time in Congress in the US, but also a bunch of time with other politicians and law enforcement agencies and things like that. And it it is a country which is very closely aligned to the moral compass of, of, uh, of many of the other countries we're talking about. They are literally part of Five Eyes where... We're in there with the the Kiwis and the Canadians and the and the folks in the UK. Uh, it's, we're, we're very very much on the same mindset of values, for want of a better term. And again, it's I I really don't want to focus too much on the democracy side of things. When we think about other things, about the the rights to freedom of press and freedom of speech uh, and and sexuality and religion and the ability to to, to effectively just be yourself, I, I think that we, for the most part, compared to that spectrum, are pretty much on the same wavelength. Not quite up there with the Nordics, <laughs> but very close. All right, what else is in here? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Guillaume, I, th- I, th- I think I figured out how to spell your or pronounce your name last time. Guillaume, hi from France. Okay, if you've got anyone in... Actually, no, I do have connections in... Um, oh, what's the French cert... You remind me. I do have connections. I should reach out to them. Ryan says, what if you deny government access to HOBP and they complain the system is arbitrary? Well, of course it's arbitrary. It's my system. I get to decide. <laughs> this isn't... Have I been pwned is not like a democracy. Like, I do get to decide because it's just me. How will you justify your decision beyond I don't feel like you deserve it? Well, I don't have to. That's like, that's that's literally the way it works. Um Sometimes people get pissed off about this and they're like, well, you shouldn't be making the decisions. Well, who should? <laughs> it's like there's no one else running it. Like I don't have a board or anything like that I can go to. I might talk to Charlotte about it. I'll talk to my kids about it. I'll go, hey, this thing happened today. But it's basically just me who gets to make the decision. And as I said to other people when they were sort of questioning, it's like why should it just be me that makes the decision? Well, I have to make the decision on all sorts of things to do with the the moral compass by which I run this service. So, for example, when do I flag a breach as sensitive? Uh, I have had criticism before about either flagging something as sensitive that people don't think should be sensitive, for example, uh, a, a forum which might deal with criminal activity, versus not flagging something as sensitive which should have been sensitive. Furries. I will admit I did not know what furries are when I loaded the furry data breach. What was it called again? Uh, fur affinity, I think it was. Now, if you don't know what furries are, wait till I finish this podcast. 
live stream and then go and look it up. But I did not flag, was it Fur Affinity? It was Fur Affinity. I did not flag Fur Affinity as sensitive because I did not understand what it meant. Uh, and other people popped up and said, hey, look, you, know, you really, really should change this. I was like, okay, well, I have learned something. Uh, now I'm going to change it. But I get to decide that independently. Whilst it's only me, I get to decide it. So there's that. Uh, and I have replied to countries that were left hanging, and I pointed them at that blog post. And I was, I was polite. I said, look, uh, I'm sorry, I can't help you. Here's why. No reply, which is fine, which is totally fine. I think I'm quite happy just not to hear from them and to have to have that discussion anymore. Uh, Lance is confirming Daryl wasn't. Oh, no, Daryl was the father. Yes, he was. Yep. Yep. I think Dale was the uh, was the son. Marcus, Australia doesn't have freedom of speech. That's why we need a Bill of Rights. I get to say whatever I want. <laughs> Nothing happens. Um, no, I, I think that's just another rabbit hole, which I'm not prepared to go down right now, but I have never, ever once felt that I didn't have a freedom of speech here. Um, no, no, don't agree. Fine. Guillaume, uh, it's good because I believe their top honcho is called Guillaume as well. All right, well, it's good because I know how to pronounce it now, which is which is handy. Ah, um, oh, geez, what's the name of the French cert? I'll realize it as soon as I finish this, uh, this, this live stream. So, look, I, I did eventually make this work. I figured out I had to press the button to begin the stream. It didn't just start automatically. I think there's a little toggle there. Maybe I'll look for that next week. Uh, I have been going for an hour and five minutes according to this and it is a friday night and i i think i am done with all this so thanks very much for joining in on this uh, i'll try to do the same thing again next week i will do it in the morning aussie time which will be in the evening for everybody else uh, everywhere else in the world but thanks for watching and uh, also thank you for chiming in there's been some really really good comments today so i, I think that's it's a little bit of a winner trying to do this on a schedule so i'm going to do that again next week